Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Father, we are so grateful that you indeed never stop working, but you are constantly and always and consistently and intentionally trying to position us where we can see you and where we can come, where we will hear your voice as our good shepherd and we will follow you. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity because in this moment, I believe you can take this space that we have created as a sanctuary for your glory and you can transform the hearts that are here in the building and those hearts that are watching online that you can realign and refocus us. We come in here with burdens on our hearts, with things that we're struggling with, with frustrations and disappointments and anxieties. But even in this moment, God, we just surrender all of that over to you. And we trust and believe that you are sovereign even over the things that we don't have control over. That you are sovereign even over the things that we feel like we just can't get a grip on. Lord, we, we release it into your hands. Now, Father, speak to us, your people, as we strive to follow you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let every believer say amen. Oh, come on now, say amen. Amen, amen. Let's just put our hands together for God, for the power, for the way maker of our Father. Thank you so much, George and team and Paula, and want to just welcome everyone into the house of the Lord today. I was just outside for a little bit, and if you feel like there's too much going on in here, we have some seats outside where you can get some cool breeze, and you can watch and listen to the sermon as well and partake. There's a few individuals out there. And we also just want to put our hands together for the baptismal candidates and what God has done and is doing in their life. Praise the Lord. And for those who are with us online, we just want to welcome you and thank you so much for tuning in and for worshiping with us wherever you are worshiping from. You know, we've been, for the last four weeks, we've been in the book of Jeremiah. And I don't know if you've taken time over this series to just go into the book of Jeremiah for yourself and to study it and to look into it. If you haven't, I want to invite you to do that. We only got one more week in this particular book. Next week, we're going to be wrapping up the book of Jeremiah. Um, because the book of Jeremiah really gives us a perspective on the heart and the love of God and the waywardness of God's people. That's us. Amen, somebody. It really gives us perspective into what God is trying to do in our lives and how he's trying to move in our lives. And so today I want to continue that theme. We're going to look specifically at Jeremiah chapter 33, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament, run through a few stories and situations that happen there, and then we're going to end in Revelation chapter 21, if that's okay with you. But as I was, as I was getting ready for this message, I, I stumbled upon a story this week that I felt was just so relevant to 
this message and into our lives. Because the title of my message today is God Still Wants to Turn It Around. Can you just turn to your neighbor and say that to somebody? God still wants to turn it around. Can you just put that in the chat if you're with us online? God still wants to turn it around. Now say it to him like you believe it. Like don't say like, I, I think God still wants to turn it around. No, like say it to him like, like you know, like, hey, I am confident. Can you say that? I am confident God still wants to turn it around. Some of y'all looking at me like you're not sure if God wants to turn it around. Well, I pray by the end of this message, you will be sure that God still wants to turn it around. I stumbled upon this story, and I may just be late to the party. Some of you all may already know this about Alfred Noble. Do you know who Alfred Noble is? He is the gentleman that the Nobel Peace Prize is named after. Do you know the backstory behind Alfred Noble at all? Anybody in the house of God? Well, great. So let me, let, me, let me educate you and just share something that I just learned this week, just a quick wiki, Wikipedia search put me on to this and it blew my mind, that Alfred Noble was a Swedish chemist. And he is actually the inventor of dynamite. In 1866, he invented dynamite. The, you know, we all know what dynamite is. And that was, his, that was his hallmark invention that really put him on the map. But it wasn't just that because, I mean, he was just a genius. He was a chemist and an engineer. He, was a, um, uh, he, he, he specialized in physics. He did a whole lot of things. He had over 350 different patents across the world. He had factories in 20 different countries. And he was just really making his mark in the world with dynamite. Something happened to him, though, interestingly enough. In 1888, his brother died. And when the newspapers heard that his brother died, Yasmin, they actually mistakenly thought it was him who died. So the newspapers started writing his obituary in the newspaper as though he was the one who died. And it just so happened on a few days after his brother died, he was sitting at breakfast drinking his coffee, and he was reading the newspaper, and he happened to read his own obituary in the newspaper because the newspapers thought he was the one who died. And as he was reading his obituary, the title of the obituary said, The Merchant of Death Has Died. That is how they characterized him, as the merchant of death. The obituary started to go on and talk about how this man, Alfred Noble, had devised a way to kill more human beings than ever in, his, ever in the history of warfare. And it just started detailing all of the people who have died at his hand and because of his inventions. And he's reading this over his coffee and, well, I don't know, what do they eat in Sweden? English muffins? That's such a, like, stereotype, forgive me. Danishes? <laughs> Crepes? Fish? Yes, whatever he was eating in 1888. So he's reading this, and in that moment, in that moment, he begins to realize how the world views him. And in that moment, at breakfast that day, he decided that dynamite would not be his legacy. So he set up 
different accounts and trust accounts, and he determined, he wrote in his will that he was going to give away most, if not all, of his wealth upon his death. He started to invest more in medicine and physics and chemistry. He worked to establish things that would actually promote life as opposed to taking life. And he did all of this in economics and literature he promoted and and, and physiology he promoted. And he did so much great work after the death of his brother that they came up with this prize called the Nobel Peace Prize. A man who created dynamite decided that it wasn't too late for him to turn his life around. And as a result, created the one prize that almost everyone wishes that they could be awarded with, which is a prize that you have done something to move peace forward in this country and in this world. As I was reading this, it just blew my mind how reading his death, his obituary, was a catalyst for him to turn his life around. And my question for you today, as I reflected upon it, is if, if you were to read your obituary, if someone was to write your obituary today, what would they write? Someone said foolishness? <laughs> well, what would it say? If they were to write your obituary, what would, they, what would your legacy be? Would they talk about the lives you touched and the people you helped and the kids that you encouraged and the young people that you educated and the people that you empowered, the the smiles that you brought to people's faces, the joy that, that, that you brought when you entered into the room? Or would they say something else? As I was processing this and reading this, I I couldn't help but think about my own life. And in my own life, I felt compelled to say, you know what? I want to make sure that the legacy that I leave as an individual on this life is one that not just I will be proud of, but that God will be proud of and that my family will be proud of. And so today I want to talk to you about our ability to turn it around. And what Alfred Noble teaches me and has taught me and is hopefully teaching us is that no matter what has happened behind you and no matter what has happened in your life, you still have the ability to turn it around. Just say turn it around. You still have the ability to turn around. And we really read this lesson from the book of Jeremiah because if you look at Jeremiah, and just to kind of catch you up if you've been missing the messages, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was written because God is trying to save his people. But his people are of the, of the nature that they have turned their back on God. They don't want anything to do with God. They feel like, you know what, we're going to do our own thing. They have their own idols. They have their own gods, and they're going to worship their own things. And so God raises up Jeremiah, and God says, Jeremiah, I want you to go to the nation of Judah, and I want you to preach to them, and I want you to tell them that if they don't get their act together, like if they don't turn their life around, they're going to go into captivity, and a whole lot of them are going to die in captivity. Jeremiah, I'm calling you, and you remember In Jeremiah chapter 1, God calls Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's like, who am I? I'm too young. They're not going to listen to me. And God's like, Jeremiah, don't worry about it because I have appointed you 
I have anointed you. I have called you from a child to be a prophet to the nation. So Jeremiah goes out and he starts preaching. If you remember the messages, Jeremiah was not received at all. They put him in prison. They locked him up. They tortured him. They burned him. They put him in cisterns. They, they, they turned their back on him. They abused him. And yet Jeremiah kept preaching. It got to one point where Jeremiah was like, God, these people, they're just not going to listen anymore. I'm going to stop preaching this message. But then Jeremiah felt like, you know what? I can't stop preaching. This is what I've been called to do. I have to preach. It's like fire shut up in my bones. So he goes back and continues to preach, and they continue to reject him. And the entire book of Jeremiah is God trying to appeal to his people, come back to me. But what's interesting about Jeremiah, this book, and with the people of Judah, is that in, in, in spite of how bad it was for them, in spite of all of the drama and all of the waywardness and all of the evil and all of the foolishness that they were engaged in, God was still giving them time again and again and again and again to turn it around. He was like, listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how bad your life is doesn't matter what number of, of marriages you're on, how many times you've had situations arise, how many times you've been locked up. doesn't matter what your addictions are or your, or your vices are or your bad habits are. Jeremiah, listen, you can still turn it around. Just say, turn it around for me. And I just feel as I was reading this, this book this week, I said, you know what? This is indeed a message for me and for us in here because some of us feel that we've gone too far that we've done too much, and that there's somehow we are too far down the path that we can't turn it around. But, but let, let Alfred Noble be a witness. Let, let Judah be a witness that no matter what's happened in your life, you can still turn your life around. If you believe me, let me hear you say amen. I want you to get this, that it's not too late. In fact, what I want you to understand is that God is a turn-it-around specialist. Yeah, that God has the ability to take your mess and to take your dirt and to take your foolishness and say, you know what, it's not too bad. I mean, it's bad, but it's not too bad. <laughs> like, it's a mess, but it's not that messy. I, it doesn't matter if you just give it to me, I'll take it, and I can transform your life. I've seen him do it in my own life. And if you're honest with yourself, I'm sure if you look around long enough, you can see how God in other people's lives, maybe even in your life to some degree, how God has been a turnaround specialist for you. And today I really want to just show you and just illustrate that we serve this God who he, his, it's almost like God's entire desire, that God's entire dream for your life is that you would turn around. Like that's the only reason why he's here. That's, that's the activity of God. Like, like when we were born, we were headed this direction. And every step of the way, God is like, listen, you can turn it around. Like, listen, you can turn it around. You don't have to be what you've done. You don't have to be what you've done. And your future is not set in stone. Your destiny is not fixed. You, you, you don't have to be who your mama was. You don't have to be who your daddy was. You don't have to repeat the cycle. You don't have to fall prey to the same behaviors and addictions. No, every step along the way, God is trying to inform us, encourage us, let us know you can turn your life around. 
And we see this. I want to show you. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 33. So we know, backstory, they're not listening. They're going into captivity. They're going to, they're going to be taken prisoners because they've rejected God. And yet in the middle of Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 14, look at what God says. He says, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and for Judah all the good things I promised them. The day will come when I will do for Israel and for Judah all the good things I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety and this will be its name. The Lord is our righteousness for this is what the Lord says. David will have descendants sitting on the throne of Israel forever. There will always be Levitical priests to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifices. Now, I just want you to get the context because Jerusalem is just about to be destroyed, if not already destroyed. And the children of Israel, the children of Judah, are being taken off into captivity. Imagine someone walking into your house, pulling the pin out of, a, out of a grenade, and saying to you, it's okay, I'm about to blow your house up, but one day we'll rebuild it. Like, like the idea that your house will be rebuilt is great, but that doesn't do a whole lot for how you're feeling right now. And that's essentially what's happening, that, that they are walking towards captivity. And God is saying, listen, I know you're going someplace you don't want to go. I know you've had a rough life. I know your situation is not ideal. But I just want to let you know, this is not the end of your story. You've suffered loss. You've suffered discouragement. You, you've battled depression. You, you've wrestled with addictions. But it's not the end of your story. Like, I know you've lost along the way, and, you, and you're hurting, and there's pain, but it's not the end of your story. I know you feel pressure from every side, and maybe some of your friends aren't accepting you because you won't conform, or maybe you find yourself conforming and doing things that you really don't feel like you want to do, and God's like, listen, it's okay. It's not the end of the story. There is another chapter. God says, I will restore Verse 25 of Jeremiah 33, he says, but this is what the Lord says. I will no more reject my people than I would change my laws that govern night and day and earth and sky. God's like, the same way I'm not going to get rid of gravity, the same way I, I can't change my laws of the sun coming and the sun setting, is the same way I cannot reject my people, even though right now you might feel like you're going through a hard time. He says, I will never, verse 26, I will never abandon the descendants of Jacob or David, my servants, or change the plan that David's descendants will rule the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Instead, I will restore them to their land and have mercy on them. God is essentially saying to, Ju to Judah, no matter how bad it gets, the day will come. No matter how bad it gets, the day will come. No matter how many tests you flunk, <laughs> the day will come when you will graduate. Come on now, say amen, somebody up in this place, right? Now, no matter how many negatives are in your bank account, come on now, the day will come where that thing will be in the positive. Come on now, it will be in the black. Do I got a witness? 
in the house. So y'all already in the black. All right, all right. Well, the day will come where there will be a few extra zeros in that thing. Do I got a witness for someone in the house of God? No matter how wayward your child is, no matter how out of their mind and crazy they might be acting, the day will come, God says, where I will restore. No matter how, how tough and contentious and stressful your marriage is right now, God says, the day will come when I will reconcile and restore. The day will come that no matter what you're going through, I have a plan to turn it around. Now, now, now I want to really dive deep into this because I don't want you to think I'm just talking in generals. Because when I read through the Bible, specifically the book of Jeremiah, what I see, and this, this, y'all, this amazed me as I was studying it this week. What I see is that God wants to turn their life around, Judah, that is. God wants to turn their life around both personally and prophetically. Okay, didn't get that. Let me, let me circle the pulpit and come back. Okay, I want you to get this, that God wants to turn their life around personally and prophetically. Okay, what do I mean? So, so if you know Bible history or Bible, the timeline of Bible history, what you'll know is Israel has already gone into captivity. Judah is about to go into captivity. Jeremiah shows up and is trying to Present, prevent Judah from going into captivity, but they don't listen to him. So Judah eventually goes into captivity, and then they're in Babylonian captivity. Jerusalem is destroyed. Everything is, 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 is destroyed. But then sometime later, about 40 or 50 years later, um, if you read through the book of Ezra, uh, you'll begin to read, or, or Nehemiah, you'll begin to read that some of the children of Israel start to return to Jerusalem. So it's almost like God is saying, like, yes, you're going to go into captivity for a season, but you're not going to stay there forever. Over time, you become, you'll, you'll, you'll eventually come back. And so when you read Jeremiah, they're on their way to captivity. If you read Lamentations, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, you'll read that they are in captivity and Jeremiah is lamenting the fact that Jerusalem has been destroyed. If you read Ezra, you'll begin to realize that, wait, God is beginning to bring them back from captivity. If you read Nehemiah, anyone read Nehemiah before? You'll read that God is raising up Nehemiah and saying, listen, I want you to go and help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. If you read Daniel, you'll read in Daniel where Daniel was taken captive and he was one of the king's uh, wise men uh, in Babylon. And Daniel prophesied that they would come back to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel comes on the scene, and he leads about 50,000 Israelites back to Jerusalem. And so what God is beginning to do is he's saying, like, listen, I, I want to let you know that, that, yes, you're going through a hard time right now, but I will, over time, in time, begin to restore you to Jerusalem, to your nation, to your kindred people, personally. There will be personal restoration. You, you may not be receiving that because we're talking about Zerubbabel and Cyrus and Nehemiah, and that might not make any sense to you today. So let me just try to come down your lane and sit next to you if I can. What God is basically saying is, yeah, I know your house is in foreclosure right now, but it's okay. It's just a house. I got your back. I'll, I'll restore what has been taken from you. 
Like, I, I know you're, you feel like you're going through a lot and you're losing your mind, but it's okay. I, like, I got your back. Don't worry. I'll, I'll begin to restore what, what stress has taken from you. I, I, like, I know this pandemic wore a whole lot of us out. Do I got a witness in the house? But don't worry, God's saying, like, the masks are coming off. Can I get a witness? Praise the Lord, CDC, up in this place. Right? God's saying, like, listen, I know you went through some stuff, but, but stay with me. I will Restore. We see this most closely in Job's life, where Job lost, literally, pastor, everything that he had. His wife lost her mind and told him to curse God. His children were destroyed. His body was broken out in boils. All of his cattle and his lands were destroyed and stolen from him. But in time, God started restoring Job back, everything that he had lost. We see this even through The New Testament, where God shows up to the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. And this demoniac, who literally has lost his mind, is in the tombs cutting himself and in chains. And no amount of medication and no amount of therapy and no amount of help has been able to control him or contain him. And Jesus shows up and says, you know what? To all those demons that are in you, this legion of demons, I cast you out. They go into the pigs, and this man is restored into his right mind. And God is saying to us through the demoniac, no matter what is plaguing your life, I can and will restore because I am a God, those who are with us online, who likes to turn things around. That's really all I do in people's lives is turn them around. We see this in Mary Magdalene, who had not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven demons cast out of her. Now, at some point, if I was an exorcist, I would have just given up. I'm like, sister, you just need to go and keep your peace. Like, them things ain't coming out. But God did not give up on her, even though seven demons were in her, to the point where not only were all these demons cast out one after the other, but she was one of the very first people at the tomb when Jesus was resurrected. And God is saying to us through Mary Magdalene, if I can cast demons out of this woman seven times, what do you think I can't do in your life? I turn things around. Or think about the man by the pool of Bethesda who had been by that pool for 30-some years, who didn't have the ability to put himself in the water and Jesus shows up and Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And he's like, listen, I have no one to put me in the water. And Jesus like, listen, take up your bed and walk because Jesus has the ability to turn people's situations around. Or think about, think about Saul of Tarsus, who was a persecutor of Christians. He was an individual who who felt like he was doing the righteous work of the Lord by, by hanging Christians and burning Christians and putting them in jail and stoning Christians. And God stepped down into his life on the road to Damascus. And God said to Saul of Tarsus, why are you persecuting me? I am now calling you to be Paul. And he went on to write most of the New Testament. These are all illustrations and testaments in our life that God has the ability and he wants to always turn us around. Personal restoration. So, so, so what have you personally lost? Friends, family, loved ones, 
your sanity, your peace, financial stability. What, what have you lost? What have you lost on this journey called life that has the ability to, to beat us up and to beat us down and to wear us out to get us to the point where we just feel like we're just going through the motions of life and we've lost our purpose, we've lost our calling, we've lost our joy. What have you lost along the way? We, we don't like to think about our loss as loss. We, we medicate ourselves with alcohol. We medicate ourselves with, 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 with drugs. We medicate ourselves with, with relationships, with social media. With shopping, do I got a witness, amen, somebody? To somehow pacify the pain of the emptiness of what we've lost along the way. For some in this room, even online, you lost your innocence, was stolen from you when you were a child by a man or a family member or even a woman who took advantage of you, a parent who left you Abandon you, a father who said, I'll be right back, and he ain't come back since. It's the longest trip to the corner store you don't ever heard of. And you've lost something. Not lost like it was your fault lost. Lost like it was stolen from you lost. Like you were, had every expectation, you were doing everything that you were supposed to be doing, but somehow along the way, someone came and because of their own insecurities and because of their own fears and their own lack of responsibility, their own selfishness, they took something that belonged to you and you were the one who had that precious innocence taken from you and you have lost. And God comes and God says, I want to restore what you have lost. I can restore what you have lost. But, but the restoration that God brings to your life and to my life is, is, is not just personal restoration, but it's also prophetic in that one of the reasons why God wants to restore us personally is because God is trying to do a, a bigger thing in this world where he's trying to restore and turn this entire world around prophetically, kingdomly, if I can use that word. So God is saying, listen, I'm not just trying to restore you so that you can, you know, have a good life and get your joy back. Yes, I want that. But understand that your restoration, your personal restoration is directly connected to what I'm trying to do prophetically in this world. It's not devoid or divorced from that. Okay, so let me help you understand. When, Jesus, when God was restoring Judah, it wasn't just to keep his promise to Judah that he would restore them, it was also because he had made another promise that a Messiah would come, 
a prophetic promise, and that the personal restoration of Judah was really linked to and coupled with the prophetic restoration that I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send a child into this world, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, and the nations will be on his shoulders, and he will rule with the iron fist. Like, like I'm going to send someone who will come and who will actually work, not just for the personal restoration of every inhabitant on this earth, but for the spiritual restoration into my kingdom. So, so, so what God is trying to do in you and through you is directly connected to what God is trying to do in this world. And that is usher in his kingdom. That everything that God is blessing me with and everything that God is trying to restore in my life, God is saying, Seth, I'm restoring you because I love you. I'm restoring you because you're my child, but I'm restoring you because I have a special work I want you to partner with me to do. And I need you to be restored in order to accomplish this prophetic work. Because there is a neighbor who doesn't know me, Seth. There's a coworker who has lost their way. There's a child who is fatherless or motherless and they need some encouragement. And Seth, the same way I comforted you, I want you to go and comfort them. The same way I restored you, I want you to go and be my hand through which they will be restored in their life. There is restoration that's taking place on multiple levels. And God is saying, it's not, it's not in spite of you. It's not beyond you. No, it is for you so that you can then turn and be a restorative tool in other people's lives. But understand... God does restore personally and for his kingdom. Okay, I, I want to try to make this thing clear, right? Because I don't want you to leave uh, or log off and just be like, well, okay, yeah, I get it that God, I, I get it that God wants to restore, but what does that really actually have to do? Like, what, how does that actually happen, right? So, um, one text that I love that really drives home this point to me, because sometimes I think that we can somehow feel that we are here on this earth and God's not aware of us. Does anyone ever feel that way, right? That you're just kind of going through the motions and like, you know, yeah, there is a God, we believe in him, but I don't know if he really sees me, right? I don't really know if my life is a part of his grand equation. Maybe the pastor's life, because he's up there preaching, but my life, I just work a regular desk job. Maybe, maybe God doesn't see me. Listen, I want to tell you that God sees you no matter what your job is. That my job is no more important than yours. Yours is no important than mine. That the thing that, that God has for your life is just as special and just as unique. That you are a chosen vessel by him. And that God has started something works, started something great in you and wants to continue that work in your life. Do you believe me? Okay, okay. So let me just, let me just show you. Uh, one of my favorite texts, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, and I am certain... <laughs> I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. Okay, you missed it, so let me say it again. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue this work until it is finished. What, what Paul is trying to communicate to us in Philippians is that God started something in your life. Can you just turn to your neighbor and just say, God started something in my life? Don't look at me, look at them. God started something in my life. Even though I don't always feel it, 
even though I don't always understand it, even though it doesn't always make sense to me, God started something in my life. And, and God will be faithful to finish what he started in my life. Okay, I, I, I don't want to lose the room, right? So, so let, me, let, me try to, let me try to break this thing down for you, right? The, the reason why some of us in here don't feel like really that God is doing a great work in our life is because of how you look at your life, right? Uh, I, I heard a story once of, of three, three individuals who uh, were, were working at a, at a construction site, and uh, the, an individual walked up to one of them and said, hey, what are you doing over here? And one of them said, well, I'm, I'm making bricks. Another individual, the same individual, walked up to another one who was also doing the same task that that person was doing, and he said, hey, what are you doing here? And that person said, I'm making a wall. He said, okay, that person's making bricks. Y'all doing the exact same activity, but this person's making a wall. There was another person over there. He walked up to them who was doing the exact same activity. He says, hey, what are you doing here? And this person said, I'm making a cathedral. And the visitors said to themselves, okay, one person has the exact same materials as everyone else, but one person only sees themselves as making bricks. The other person only sees themselves as making a wall, but this person over here sees themselves as making a cathedral. You see, when I, when I read that story, it, it, it hit me because what I've begun to realize in my own life is that when, when you understand how your life connects to something so much greater, it gives you so much clarity on the daily menial tasks that you're going through. You see, if when you look at your life, if all you see is that you are making bricks, then you will feel like, man, what I'm doing make, is not making a difference and it's not, I, I, I'm not making an impact and my, my life is small and my life is insignificant. And yeah, there's a God up there, but he probably doesn't even know who I am because I never hear from him. Uh, he, I, 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 I don't have a really close relationship with him. And so there's just a disconnect. But if you understand that your life is actually building a cathedral, then it changes your perspective and you recognize that, yeah, while I am literally making bricks, I understand the bricks that I am making are a part of something that is so much larger. You are not just punching the clock when you go to work every day. But you are a part of a prophetic narrative where God is saying, I'm restoring you so that I can work through you to restore this entire world. That, you're, that, that, that when you are just going through the motions of your everyday life with your family, making dinner, getting the kids ready for school, God's like, listen, that is not just an isolated instance or situation, but I am doing something so much greater and everything that you do every single day is connected to this bigger picture. It matters. Your life matters to God. And God is working tirelessly to get you to see that, to understand it, and for you to turn it around. If you're with me, let me hear you say amen. So how do you turn your life around? How do you see this bigger picture? Judah couldn't see it. They couldn't see it because they were looking at the wrong frame. Because your ability to turn your life around has as much to do with God's work in your life as it does with your belief in God's work in your life. 
This is the question I have for you. Do you believe that God is working in your life? Do you believe, in spite of your bad decisions, that God is still working in your life? Jonah made a bad decision. What was Jonah's bad decision? To run from God. Found himself swallowed up in a big fish. Yet even though he was running from God, Jonah had an awareness that even though I'm going in the opposite direction that what God is, wants me to go, somehow God is, ain't done with me because he got me alive in this big fish. And some of you all are living a life contrary to God's will, but you have this, this sly suspicion, this subtle suspicion that God is not done with you and that he is still, even in where you are, he is still working things out in your life. The reason why some people can turn their life around and others can't is, I think, fundamentally because of what they believe about God. But number two, it is because of where they spend their time and their energy and their efforts. You see, a lot of us, Rachel, we want God to change our environment. So we say, God, I don't like my marriage. Change my marriage. God, I don't like my, my, my finances. God, change my finances. God, I don't like this situation. Change the situation. And we spend a lot of time and energy praying that God would change our environment. And I believe that God just sits back and says, you know what? I don't, I don't change environments, right? Um, if, if you want your environment to change, what I want you to do is I want you to change your investment. So start investing in things differently. If you want your environment, if you want your marriage to change, right, start investing in your marriage. Do I got a witness? Maybe not too loudly. I understand. If you want your finances to change, right, like, like get on a budget, like start looking at your finances differently. If you want your, if you want your social circle to change, start reevaluating how you're investing your time and your money and your energy. And if you change your investment, it will change your environment. I heard one person say it like this, that, that, that you will become whatever the most important person in your life thinks that you are. Okay, okay, y'all not, y'all not with me, so let me try to make this. George, could you, come, could you help me, Pastor? Yeah, 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 leave your mic, leave your mic. Just, just come, just come, come with me. Um, um, so, 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 so let's imagine that, that George represents you. Come on up, come on up. George represents you, you represent George, right? And in his life, um, George is going in the wrong direction, right? He was born in this wrong direction, right? He's going in this wrong direction. Um, it's unhealthy. It's, it's toxic. Uh, it's it's uh, financially, he's stressed, he's overwhelmed, all of those things that we're trying to avoid in life, right? This is, this is the direction of his life that he's going. He's had some major loss, major setbacks, major discouragement. And George is trying to figure out, okay, how do I turn my life around, right? Now, what, what many of us do is we, we try to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We try to say, you know what, I'm just gonna be more disciplined. But has anyone ever uh, broken a New Year's resolution before? Y'all just gonna leave me hanging like that. No one here. Okay, thank you, Sam. I got one. Thank you, Ricky, right? Has anyone in here said they were gonna do something, but they wound up, wound up not doing it before? Anyone said, I'm going to get in shape, 
been here? Anyone said I'm going to lose some um, weight or I'm going to save some extra money this year? Anyone ever said that? Anyone said I'm going to get a new job and you started applying, you started getting rejected, so you got discouraged and you stopped applying? Has that ever happened to anyone in the house of the Lord, right? Uh, as I think for most of us, we have been there. Anyone ever said, man, I'm going to really work on my relationship with my parents, but then it didn't quite work out? Anyone ever said, I'm going to work on my relationship with my spouse or with my children, but it just never really worked out? All of us have done that before. Right? All of us in some dimension of our life have been facing the wrong direction. And all of us on some level have even prayed about it. We said, God, could you turn me around? God, can you restore? God, can you fix my finances? God, can you fix my relationship with my children? God, can you fix my temper? Anyone here ever tried to fix a temper before? Come on now, be honest. Right? We've actually prayed about it. But then one day passes, two day passes, three day passes, and we still find ourselves still facing the wrong direction. We might make some slight adjustments. We might get like a little, be able to look over our shoulder, but the general trajectory of our life is still going in the wrong direction. And, and the reason being, the reason being is because I firmly believe, as that man said, that your life, that you can only live up to or become what the most important person in your life thinks you are. Somebody write that down and tweet that for me. You can only become what the most important person in your life thinks you are. And for most of us, the most important person in our life is like this mirror. Broken. The most important person in our life is a broken mirror. And we're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to become what they see us to be. But what they see us to be is from their own position of brokenness. <laughs> I mean, have you ever tried to like change your appearance in a broken mirror? Right? Like, like it's not going to work. It's not going to look out very, look, look very good when you're all said and done. But we hold up other people's opinions about ourselves, and for some of us, I mean, yeah, if the most important person in your life is your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, I mean, you might be doing good. But for a whole lot of us, the most important people in our life are the people we see on social media. <laughs> are the people, are the images that are projected to us from society. It is, the, it is the, the, the failures of a father or the disappointments of a mother that, that, are, that are haunting us and they're hovering over us and we're trying to outlive someone else's failures because we want to be better than them and for some reason even though we would never admit it they are in fact the most important person to us and we're trying to outlive their outlive their brokenness by looking at a mirror from their life that is broken itself and what God is saying listen I can I God am the specialist at turning you around, but the way that I turn you around is for you to stop looking at the brokenness of your life, at your life through the brokenness of someone else's life, and to start seeing yourself as I see you. Because when God becomes the most important person to you, you will become what the most important person to you thinks you are. And the most important person in this world is God. And what God thinks you are is an overcomer. 
He thinks you're smart. He thinks you're brilliant. He thinks you're ingenious. He thinks you're wonderful. He thinks you're righteous. He thinks you're holy. He thinks you're special. He thinks you're set apart. Like the most important person, he thinks, he thinks you're more than a conqueror, that you're, that you're a victor. He thinks that, yeah, okay, yeah, you make, might, might make some steps. You might be tempted to turn back around from time to time, but because you got what the most important person in your life thinks of you, even though you might be tempted to turn back just for a moment, you realize, oh, no, that's not who I am anymore. Yeah, that, that might have have been what I've done, but that's not who I am. Who I am is what he thinks of me. And I begin to head in the direction of my life of who God really thinks I am. Not my broken friends. Come on now. Don't look to your left or to your right. Not your broken spouse. Come on now. Let's be honest. Not my broken children. Show enough, not my broken boss. Not my broken social media, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. No, 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 no. Not the broken political world that we live in. Not the broken social world that we live in. No, my identity and my future and my belief in who I am is a reflection of what I think God thinks about me. So, 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 George, thank you. So for, for those who want to turn, literally turn it around, you have to start looking at a different picture. You have to start looking at a different picture. You don't get up at yourself and say, man, I'm so overweight. No, 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 it's the wrong picture. You get up and you say, man, I'm on my way. Come on now up in here, somebody. You don't open your Bank of America app and you see a bunch of zeros. You don't look at it as empty. You say, man, there's plenty of room for growth. Come on now up in here. Listen, listen, how you view yourself, how is, is, is going to directly impact your ability to turn your life around. And I don't want you to think I'm talking about some, some works uh, thing. I'm not, no, 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 no. Because understand that, that we play a role in our life, that we are responsible. God is not going to come in and make us do anything. We are responsible for the course of our life and the trajectory of our life. We are the ones who decide what we're going to focus on, what we're going to invest in, what, how we're going to live our life. And God is saying, listen, I've given you everything that you need to live a successful, prosperous life. Yeah, you've lost some things. I'll give you the peace that will cover your losses. But what I need you to do is start investing in a different picture of yourself. I'll give you peace to cover what you've lost. What I need you to do is start investing in a different picture of yourself. So to my fellas, start investing spiritually in your family, leading your family. To my ladies, start investing spiritually in your family, leading your family, supporting your family. Start investing in, 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 in friends that are speaking life, not speaking death. That are calling out the good in you. There, we got some friends in our life who will, who will speak death over us in the name of comedy. <laughs> oh, you know I'm just joking. Nah, that ain't funny. <laughs> no, no, no. Start investing in people who will speak life over you. And start making a decision that every day you're going to start speaking life over yourself. Just, just become aware of the number of self-defeating thoughts that you entertain. And ask yourself, why do I think that way? 
Where did that come from? That's not how God sees me. God sees me as his child. He sees me as, as, his, as his son, as his daughter, as an heir. He sees me as prosperous and successful. He sees me as the head, not the tail. Like, like I'm, I'm tired of subscribing to religion that says, if you really follow God, then you're going to be poor. I don't believe that. I believe that if you really follow God, you will have a prosperous life, mind, body, and spirit. Yeah, you'll go through some things. Doesn't mean you won't have trials or tribulations, but the peace of God will rest on your life so heavy that you will be able to walk on the water of the storms of life around you. And you'll be able to say, oh, my God, God, it's well with my soul. I'm not even worried. I'm not even stressed. I'm not even stunting that no more. Like I know God's gonna take care of that situation. And you walk in God's path, recognizing that the personal restoration that God is trying to enact in your life, the personal restoration which requires God turning you around, which requires you changing your investment and starting to focus on other things, is directly connected to what God is trying to do in this planet, on this planet, through, his, through the kingdom of heaven. Because he tells us, he tells us in Revelation, last text, chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, he says, Then I saw, this is John the Revelator, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed, for her husband, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away, come on now say amen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. God says, listen, Everything that was back there, all the pain and the sorrow, I'm, I'm going to get away from it. I'm getting rid of it. What I want you to do is I want you to start turning from it yourself. Start turning from the pain and the sorrow and the scourge. Start turning from that former life. And then he says in verse 5, put this on the screen for me. He says this in verse 5. He says, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making, say it with me everything new and he said write this down <laughs> but what I'm telling you is true I am making everything new everything everything that means your marriage he's making it new that means your kids he's making it new this this transformation that's coming this turning around that we just read in Revelation 21, that's not something that's just gonna start then. Revelation 21 starts now. Starts now. You see, we think we can just live our life walking this way, and then somehow God's gonna, when God comes again, then he's gonna take everything, he's gonna make it all new. No, 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 no. God's saying, listen, I'm, I'm making everything new right now. Right now, right now, right now. You know how like you tell your kids to clean up the room right now? Not, not, right now. God's like, listen, right now I'm making things new. Right now I'm starting this turning it around process. And I want you to partner with me. I want you to 
come alongside of me. I want you to be a part of it with me so that when I do it on a global, universal scale and this whole world is destroyed and the new Jerusalem comes down, you would have already turned around. You would have already been heading in the right direction. You would have already had my peace covering you. And you would have already been walking in my prosperity and walking in my joy and walking in my favor and walking in my peace and walking in all those good things that God is trying to get us to experience right now, right now. And so this is about a surrender to say, God, I, I surrender the broken picture that I have been looking into, the broken mirror that I have been looking into. I surrender my fears, the brokenness, my insecurities. I surrender the, 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 the images that I'm trying to live up to from someone else's broken life. God, I surrender it. And now I want to see, I want to take the mirror of, of who you say I am, God, and I want that mirror to begin to transform me and turn me around right now, right now. And if I lose things along the way, as I probably will, because we live in a sinful, wicked world, as I lose things along the way, God, I'm trusting that your peace will cover the loss. Not every marriage is gonna survive, but God's peace will prevail. Not every child is going to come home, but God's peace will prevail. Not every cancer cell is gonna be removed from your body, but God's peace will prevail. Not every argument is gonna be resolved, but God's peace will prevail. God's peace will cover the loss and give you the ability to continue to turn. One day at a time, one moment at a time, one step at a time, turning around and you'll be able to, <laughs> you'll be able to say, like it said in the Old Testament, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Y'all know that's, that's, that's what God does. He makes all things beautiful in his time. If you want to su submit and surrender to the transformative, turning it around work of God in this place, would you just stand with me in here? You want to say, God, I need you. I want you to start turning it around. There's some areas in my life. There's some things in my life. There's some components and dimensions in my life that I need you to start turning around. Spirit of the living God. Lord, we humbly submit to your divine authority and your sovereignty. We surrender the broken picture frame of our past, the broken images that we have been viewing our life through and today oh God we accept that you have a better picture of who we are to be one of happiness and joy and peace and prosperity and fulfillment one where when we go through loss we don't sorrow. I mean, we're sad, we're human, but your peace steps in and covers the loss. God, today we, we wanna experience 
the turning aroundness of our Savior through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Today, God, we're not going to ask you to change our environment. I'm not asking that when I go home, somehow my, my family will be better, my wife will be nicer, my bank account will be more full. No, 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 God. <laughs> That's not how you work. God, I'm asking today that you would help me help us change our investment that when we go home we would bring the joy we would bring the happiness we would bring the intentionality that when we show up into work as unhealthy and toxic as a work environment it might be God that we would bring the positivity that we would change our orientation and our disposition and our investment in life and as we start investing in the picture that you see of us, not the broken pictures of others, but God, that you would begin to turn our life around and that we would see you do great and mighty things. Lord, I, I thank you that you don't give up on us. No matter how deep we, we, we've fallen, no matter how far down the path that we've been walking, in the wrong direction, God, you send the hound dogs of heaven after us and you never give up. You never give up. You never give up. You're constantly working towards our, our salvation. And I thank you for that. And so in this moment, God, we just surrender. I, as every head is still bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to give you someone an opportunity to accept Christ as their savior. You might say, you know what? I saw the three ladies get baptized, the family get baptized. I want to be baptized myself. I want to turn it around. Baptism is a part of that process of turning it around. If that's you, just raise your hand. You want to get baptized. You want to prepare yourself for baptism. I see you. I see you. Father, you see the hands that are lifted in this place. Lord, would you just take our heart's decision to fully turn around and may we just experience your new life in us through your Holy Spirit. Your peace, your power, your grace. Lord, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let everyone who believes say amen and amen.